0: again welcome back to China Manufacturing Decoded it's Adrian from the team I'm back uh, after a couple of weeks out when uh, Renault has had some really great guests on Renault is still joining me though hi Renault
1: hey hi Adrian
0: hi yeah good to be back on the uh, on the pod uh, but some great guests Andrew Hubert, uh, a couple of weeks ago and then uh, talking about kind of like the the changing of the guard i suppose and a, and a new reality for especially american importers oh
1: yeah or anybody who sells on the us market yeah <laughs> so yeah so that's scary it's... yeah that
0: that was that was a good one yeah yes yes and Belinda jacobs last week and mm. you guys had a really interesting discussion about uh, how to develop new soft goods which which is something that we haven't really covered before
1: right 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 yeah garments and how to document the quality standard for garments and there's a uh, very sort of standardized way to do it with tech packs a lot of mm-hmm. english-speaking countries call it a tech pack and now uh, we we kind of explain the main activities and the main milestones in, develop- in the development of a new uh, a new style yeah
0: yeah cool okay So if you're listening and you didn't catch those special guests, uh, go back to the last couple of episodes. That's uh, episodes uh, 106 and 107. Today, we're actually diving back into a series of episodes that we've been doing on how to handle your own sourcing from China. And that's been everything from just finding the suppliers that you need at the very beginning of the process through to getting your products manufactured. And then actions that you do after you started working with a supplier, mainly soft skills, I suppose, like building rapport with the supplier in order to have a good relationship moving forward. And today's topic, which is improving the product quality that you're actually getting from your current supplier. So this is part eight of the series. If you want to go back and listen to every part before this, the links are, as ever, in the show notes. So improving your suppliers' quality. Uh, first question, Renault. Are product defects then impossible to avoid?
1: <laughs> Let's say that having zero defect over, you know, a million products made consecutively in the same manufacturing place is extremely rare. Yeah, I've read about, you know, one or two companies that achieved that, but it just means that no defect was caught, right. Mm. It was detected. Um, mm. It doesn't mean that they did not exist at the, at the time of, um, you know, at the end of the line, let's say, but it's exceedingly rare to, to, to read about anything like that. Now, that's in the auto industry or in in you know very specific uh sectors um but when we when we look at consumer goods in general, especially relatively cheap consumer goods made in asia like in in low cost asia um <laughs> you know in in china in vietnam in bangladesh in india in Pakistan and so on um if you talk about that with a supplier, then they would say, What what are you even talking about? <laughs> you know, defects are always there. It sure. it comes with the territory. You you do production, there's gonna be variation, and we cannot do much about it. And we're gonna, you know. And 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 when you hear that and you buy, you know, a batch of uh, 5,000 t-shirts or or some Bluetooth speakers or something, um Maybe all you want is to keep the defect rate at 1% or 2%. And maybe you're happy about that, right? It really depends on your market. It depends on how expensive the failures are and so on. Now, if you're making airbags that go into cars, (laughs) the hundreds of a percent is very bad. Okay. Mm. So because (laughs) it's related to product safety and it's, uh, and there are regulations about it, and, and, and so yeah. on. Um, or, or if you make uh, brake systems for 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 cars, hundreds of a percent is not going to cut it, right? So it really depends on, uh, on on where you are in the supply chain, what, what industry you're in. But when suppliers look at me in the eye and say, ah, come on, you know, we're, nobody's under 1% of of defectives you know and, and like well <laughs> with your mindset and your 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 lack of awareness yeah you're not going to get under one percent i can see that but that's your problem mm. <laughs> right anyway uh, it can be a bit frustrating with how um, um how they can tell you these kind of things with a straight face and and really believe it
0: mm. yeah uh i mean you d- you did mention an interesting word there the low cost Asia, and I suppose it sort of almost goes with the territory, doesn't it?
1: Oh, to a certain extent, yes. If the buyer goes for low price and doesn't give much weight to other criteria, they're going to get a low price and, Mm. you know, maybe not very good performance on other criteria, such as safety, quality, reliability. Yeah.
0: Okay, so... Let's assume that we are interested in reducing uh, defects or improving overall quality uh, of products. Of course, is a noble goal, and, and I'm sure most uh, importers would, be, uh, mm. would want that. So we start to move towards zero defects. Zero defects in reality may not be realistically possible, but the action of trying to get towards that goal, mm. that's going to bring up overall quality. All right, mm-hmm. So I suppose we've got a strategy in place to to get to zero defects in inverted commas. And you've got some different pieces of advice that mm-hmm. will help move towards better quality. And most of them, my understanding is they don't require much or any capital investment even.
1: Right. And we're going to cover a few of these um Important topics that have an impact on 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 product quality, mm. and here I'm going to focus mostly on you know quality at the end of the line. We also talked about product reliability and durability in previous podcasts. That's sort of another topic. Uh, obviously, poor quality will also trigger poor reliability, right? But yeah. um, we're just going to focus at on on you know on as as a snapshot during production or at end of production how to move the proportion of defective goods or components down right so
0: right the,
1: f- the first thing is suppliers get to get a message you know they they get to to have something that motivates them otherwise why would they change all right especially in china most suppliers are very passive once they have a a team doing certain processes, and they and they see that the product sells. Why would they make any changes, right? Why would they invest any management bandwidth um, into driving change? <laughs> you know, they, mm-hmm. they they have to feel the cost of poor quality, and and again, we talked about that in a previous episode of the podcast. Several of them, actually uh with, with Clive and Max and 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 um if the supplier doesn't feel the heat they don't see that there's returns and 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 complaints and so on and uh, very high um, very high chargebacks and penalties and so on from the supply chain well why care you know if they have 2% of defective goods and they're checked uh in very typical Acceptance testing, sort of uh, inspections with an AQL of two point five, well, pretty much all the time they will pass, and <laughs> and who's gonna get these two percent of defective goods? You know, some so at some point down the road, uh, maybe the, the 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 products will not be sold. They will stay in the store or they will be sent back or something, and it's just built into the cost model uh, downstream. And it doesn't go back to the to the manufacturer. Well, the manufacturer is pretty happy about that, right? Mm. They don't want to change anything. So you got to send them the feedback as well as the chargeback. And that's when they might be disposed to thinking actually, okay, we got to do something. So that's the very first, it's like the, the, the foundation. If you don't have that, usually nothing's going to happen. Now, yeah. let's go into um, into, into um, what can move the needle, how to get closer to zero defect in a significant manner. Now, hmm. I'm going to cover a few different topics. And obviously, talking in, in general, right? Not looking at one specific manufacturer, <laughs> uh, not doing a gap analysis. No, I'm just talking in general here. So it's, you know, there's different recipes that usually kind of build uh, on top of each other and complement each other and go in the same direction. And obviously, uh, you have to decide which ones to do in priority and 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 in you know um, where to put more emphasis, right? Because different factories are in different situations. But the, the first one that I'm gonna cover is beware of batch and queue so a lot of manufacturers and this is all over the world when they don't know about best practices about lean manufacturing etc what they tend to do is they tend to think okay the bigger the batch the lower the unit cost because we don't have many setup fee you know setup costs and wasted time changing things and we don't have to think too much also and the operators on the line they get more effective you know and, and i mean faster more efficient i should say uh, over time and, and and so on and it's easier to manage so they have an order of 10000 pieces they hope they get an order for 30000 pieces once they get a, an order for 30,000, they hope they get an order for 100000 pieces and they think that's the way they uh, you know they drive the, they, they drive their costs down and they keep their business simple mm. which they love <laughs> And the problem is making one big batch of 30,000 pieces actually is very dangerous in the way they do it. Because let's say, I don't know, Um got get to take an example. Maybe I remember a factory of uh, electrical fans in Zhongshan that I went to uh, five or six years ago. Big place, huge facility, millions and millions of dollars of inventory. and we were walking across and they were they were getting a bunch of parts and they were you know some of them were cast outside and some of them were um they were stamping the the, the parts etc cetera, etc cetera. just looking at stamping so stamping is fast dunk, 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 dunk. and they were building so much inventory before you know it all goes into uh, assembly we counted and they had uh an excess of stamped parts uh, <laughs> that would take uh, something like three weeks to consume by assembly, right? So assembly was a bottleneck. So you had like three weeks of stamped parts. Now, what happens if the stamping tool has got some kind of problem, and you know it was not properly uh, maintained, and and you know, maybe it was not replaced on time, and suddenly you have twenty thousand parts that have some kind of quality problem. And you find find out about it maybe at the end of assembly. So by the time you find it, maybe you get 2000 full product assembled, right? So that's why it's extremely dangerous to let a manufacturer go with very large batches like that. Because they love, you know, it's so easy. You just, you know, get the stamping machine going, tell the operator you just do this and like don't think, and the supervisor doesn't have to think. You know, nobody has to think much, and it's like it looks very smooth to them, but they they're building a lot of inventory that uh, that might come with a lot of defects. So, ideally, you um, you, you try to reduce all of that working process inventory. You try to uh, to link the processes much more tightly so that they don't do a lot more in advance. And of course, it's going to cost some some more changeovers and so on. However, is going to reduce sort of that risk, is going to um is going to compress the lead times and these very widespread quality issues, well, they're gonna be caught much, much earlier. Okay, so that that's one thing, a big thing, right? Mm-hmm. If we look not at the whole series of processes, you know, in this case the stamping and and some welding, and that, and then going into assembly and packing. Now, if we just look at an assembly line, it's the same idea. They like to, to let a lot of material go through the line, and then you look at one workstation, one operator, they have a bunch of different things in front of them. Well, it's so easy to forget which one you processed, you know. And same thing with the test is even worse. You know, when the test, if it's not one piece by one piece, they have... Ten pieces or twenty pieces in front of them it's so easy to you know to double test one and forget to test the other one right mm. um, and and that in many cases is responsible for maybe a one percent defect rate just that right or or a two percent defect rate so it's very important to rethink the organization and this and then you have to fight of course with the production manager and so on so yeah, hmm. that 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 might not be the first thing you do but that might be the one thing that has the biggest impact okay hmm. second one is local management and discipline okay not discipline in the sense that you fire someone or you you punish someone harshly when they make a mistake no because mistakes happen because of poor processes and poor management, okay? Yeah. Mistakes are a reflection of a, of, of a bad system, not of the person making the mistake. Well, except in some cases, but in most cases it's not. So, when I go to a, to, to a factory and then I see, you know, there's a lot of signs of bad, uh, or, or I would say missing management. Uh, People don't wear the protective equipment. Uh, things are sloppy, you know, everywhere. There's a little bit of sloppiness everywhere. Well, that yeah. <laughs> that carries over to product quality. There's no question, no question. When something is not really right, well, people will just close their eyes and let it go, right? So having you know ideally they wouldn't involve the operators and and the local leaders and so on in defining the the way to work and getting them to to, um, to 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 confirm it's fine and maybe sometimes to show that there's a problem and so on that that that's culture right in most cases you're not going to have that for a long time or ever in a chinese factory a typical one where you have the migrant workers coming and just doing the job and and I don't give a you know uh, I don't give a crap and if this company fall you know falls down, I find another job across the street you know with these mm-hmm. kind of people with that kind of culture' not gonna work I mean, you know the more you try to involve them and 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 um involve the the local leaders um the better um the, the more they will adhere to the standards okay so you have to first define the standards you know, define the work instructions. Then you have to make sure people really understand them and agree with them and sort of commit to following them, right? And you need to have the daily management routines of the local leaders going around and checking if there's any deviation from the standard. You need to make things as visible as possible so that they can manage to it and Mm. and notice when there's a problem and make it sort of obvious so there's pressure to, to do something about it. Okay, when you see managers stay in their office, eh, you know, it's South China, it's June, it's pretty hot. I don't want to get down to the shop floor, right? <laughs> well, they better get down to the shop floor and and observe because if they don't come down, then the level under doesn't have much pressure. And then if the level under doesn't have any pressure, then the level even more under has even less pressure. and And then you have this wool, you know, whatever sort of attitude Um, who cares let's just push the products out the door and who cares and that's really what you want to avoid right so it it comes from it's really about management what 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 we see the quality issues that we see are mostly a failure of management and obviously um, if there's no quality system that has been developed and you know and 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 tailor made to the needs of that specific factory you can see it right away right away so that's uh that's a very big one if you don't get the managers to understand their role and to start to have a routine starting in the morning looking at looking at this and then looking at that and and putting some information up on the walls or on whiteboards to make things obvious and to track you know what is the standard and where are we you know versus standard it, it's it's going to be a mess and not just for quality mm. when i talk about standards it's also the the standard times uh for 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 um, for the operations you know it's the number of of products that are made in the day <laughs> mm. if uh, if they don't pay attention to that well you know, end of the day, they might rush stuff out just to get to their number of whatever—you uh, know, twelve hundred pieces—by uh, the end of the shift.
0: That makes so everything that, even worse.
1: Yeah, of course, and then that has a uh, carryover effect on quantity, of course. Mm. <laughs> so that's that's the second point, really. Management—if you have poor management, if 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 people don't understand all that and don't have the discipline to do it, well. Uh, you know, things are gonna be sloppy and then sloppiness is definitely going to lead to quality issues and safety issues and all kinds of troubles. Yep. Then number three is about getting the operators, or at least some of the operators, to to do some of the quality control work. You can't just rely on inspectors. So the the, the very unsophisticated and immature approach is to have, you know, (laughs) purchasing and the suppliers negotiate their things and their, you know, their deals and the price and so on. And then to have incoming QC inspectors sort of be the police trying to find the the problems. And then Mm -hmm. same thing to have production (laughs) make stuff and then to have inspectors, you know, trying to find the, the, the criminals, you know, the the, the defectives somewhere and then to, to push it back to production and say, oh, you messed up, you have to rework. This cannot lead you to have a, a good quality, basically. You will always have issues. You will avoid maybe the biggest issues, but you're really going to hit the ceiling and um, and you have to change that. And a way to change that and also at the same time of saving money, really, is to train some of the, the operators to carry out some of the quality checkpoints, right? Um, because when you when you look at them, they might not be very busy 100% of the time. So they might have a little bit of, um, of, of, yeah, of extra time that they can put to use to, to do a little bit of inspection. And ideally they would check before they process the part, right? Because then they check the, the the what the operator before them has done. This is successive inspection. Now, mm. they can also inspect after they have done the processing, but then they lose a little bit of objectivity, right? So in some cases, yeah, we found that this is really not, it's just not happening. So why do I inspect? I know I've done it well anyway, right? And then it's very tempting to, to just slack off a bit and not do it. So um, it, it's, it's, it's this whole idea uh, of, of, of involving operators to do some of the quality control work. And ideally, again, this is a culture thing, but if you can get them to understand that it's not in their interest to make poor quality products, then a lot of things will change. And what we see in a lot of Chinese factories, and also this is very, very hard to, to change, is a very bad pay scheme, you know, by the piece. the pay by the piece. And, of course, um, they also have to to promise a minimum salary per month. Otherwise, people are not going to come. But, that, you know, the clear incentive is make more pieces, get paid more. And if somebody catches some, some problems, then you have to fix them. Uh, you have to rework them, and it's going to take you some time, and you're not going to get paid for that. Right. So the whole idea is, I go as fast as I can to produce as many pieces as I can, and I try to make sure these nasty inspectors are not going to catch it. And then, of course, when the inspectors come back and say hey, there's a problem here, then everybody in produ- everybody in production will be like, "Wow, this is fine. This is not a problem. Come on, you you're really pesky. You, you're just just trying to make our life hard. Come on, da da da." da. And the poor inspector is going to feel a lot of pressure, and the good ones go and the ones who don't really care they stay <laughs> and then you you know mm. you just let your your checks and balances basically get destroyed and nobody's really paying much attention to to production anymore right so again it's related to management of course but that's the idea of uh, making sure that production people bear some of the responsibility for quality that they do not see it as something external to them uh that will impact them poorly you know if they get caught no it's more like mm. they do if they do bad quality anyway you know um it's gonna be caught and it's better to catch it early and 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 let's do everything right and then we'll all make you know we'll make uh, more money if you can set up the system that way these incentives then it's much much better
0: and, and empowering for the staff, I'm sure. I mean, okay, we've got cultural aspects and, mm-hmm. and and we're not talking about Western countries here, but nonetheless, I think if you're empowering the staff to take more responsibility and more pride in their work, perhaps that's, that's never going to be a bad thing, is it?
1: It cannot be a bad thing, right? And um, it very much depends on the workforce you have, mm. <laughs> how far you can go. Uh, but the... Um, Hopefully the local leaders and the supervisors and the production manager get it. And if these people get it and support it, it's going to have an impact.
0: Okay, great. uh, Number four.
1: Right, so we were talking about manual work, because again, when I talk to especially Chinese suppliers, they always say, well, you know, this is done by hand. There's always gonna be defects, come on, right? cannot be perfect it's, you know it doesn't come out of um, a machine <laughs> and i'm like dude you don't know what you're talking about you know you don't you, you if you had a good process engineer most of these human mistakes could actually be avoided could be made impossible even right so it's the whole concept of mistake proofing and um a very um you know simple example is when you do drilling, so the drilling is in a lot of different products, you know, um, a, a lot of furniture products, for example, this drilling mm-hmm. and uh, wooden products in general, etc. There's There's a lot of drilling operations. And then what happens, a very common mistake when you drill a part is you put it upside down or you put it in the wrong orientation <laughs> and it's going to go against the side of the fixture and pop you know, or two sides, usually they put it again, two sides, and then they, they drill, and if it's not placed correctly, well, the, the hole is going to be in the wrong place. And there's a very common mistake-proofing uh, countermeasure to that, which is putting some pins on the fixture so that it's actually impossible to put the, the part the wrong way. And in some cases, they had to redesign the part a little bit uh, to make it possible to have, you know, pins that um, enforce really the, the 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 way you know the part is, is placed. This is the same idea as when you you insert a SIM card into your phone. Um, you you don't think for you know for for a while you know oh is this disorientation or that one no it's kind of obvious and you, if you try to put it the wrong way you're going to be blocked because uh, there's a mm. little like a little notch that yeah. allows you to to push it entirely so it's really this idea you know that's a most mistake proofing device and when you have process engineers thinking through that and talking to the product designers a lot of mistake proofing is possible right so what you do is you start from the common mistakes if production is already running and you think okay why did it happen why did it happen you observe the operations and then what, what you know when you have a few um Common issues like that, then you need to be a little bit creative, and you need to try and come up with with, with a permanent fix. Now, a good mistake-proofing uh, device will totally prevent the mistake. It's like it's impossible, or you know, one level down, it will still make it possible, but it will detect the problem. So at least you don't pass it to the next stage, right? Mm. Uh, and there's several levels of that, right, or maybe you can simple things like checklists, you know make sure that you do this and you do this and you check that systematically. you know getting back to giving some of the quality control work to operators
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, it's better than nothing It's not very powerful, but it's better than nothing uh, again, getting back to the product design, color coding some of the components um like when you get a new a new computer for example you're going to see that some of the ports are green, some are blue. And then you look at the cables, the cable side or you know, the mail side, you know, some of them are going to be green. Some of them are going to be blue. Okay. You know, green is going to go with green. Blue is going to go, go with blue. You don't have to think too much, right? Mm. Same thing. Sometimes in production, you see this, these uh, these kinds of things. And it's a good, um, uh, usability engineering, they call it usually. It's, it's a good approach. It's a very good approach. And, the beauty of it is a good mistake proofing device does not add any work. And that's really important because you know, it's going to happen. They're going to be in a rush. They've got to get the goods loaded in the container by midnight tonight. And, you know, and they still have X thousands of pieces to make. And, and and anything that adds a little bit of time is going to be pushed aside. Mm. You know, and, no representative of the customer is present and, and the manager is uh, whatever is out of town, and, <laughs> right. That's going to happen. You have to, you have to plan for it. So if your mistake proofing device or your system does not actually make things slower or more cumbersome, they're not even going to try to bypass it. And mm. that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. Right. And, yeah, and and it costs nothing, mm-hmm. that's, uh, which is a big thing. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's awesome. Um,
1: right. Um, point number five. I I talked before about documenting the standards, uh, you know, preparing some work instructions, and then training people to it, and that's a big topic. So we often go to factories, and they have. They have some kind of instructions up there, uh, usually black and white. You know, (laughs) you're lucky if you have one photo and uh, if you have step one, step two, step three (laughs) and um, nobody looks at them. And then you look Mm -hmm. at the operation and you look at it and you're like, wait a minute, this is not what they're doing. You know, because this stuff was prepared um, (laughs) one year ago or six months ago. And nobody's really trying to keep it updated and, and it's decoration, right? Uh it looks good when there's a um a customer walking by pretty fast, doesn't stop to really try to understand what's going on, kind of read Chinese, kind of looks good. Yeah, yeah, you see, yeah, we train the workers and uh, we, we define things. You see, we have manufacturing engineers that don't this, you know. Um, but when you look at it closely, you uh Tell them this is, and then they say, "Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, this, yeah, we 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 don't manage to that. This is like, does uh, you know? Forget about it. Don't don't even look at it. <laughs> okay, and that's a problem. Mm. And that's a problem. In a proper production process, you want to have a uh, you know the best known way to do the work, ergonomically, uh, you know, safety wise. When it comes to to how fast it takes, and you know? also how likely it is that defects will come up. You know, it's, it's, it's a good thing to have it documented, broken down into steps. One, two, three, four, five, you know, do this, then do this, then do that and so on. Hopefully with one photo per step and also a few um, examples of problems and maybe some tips, you know, make sure of that or like, this is really, really important, right? And then this is a basis for uh, training the operators. Uh, And hopefully you start to document something and then you see how to do it. And then you, 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 uh, you ask them and then you update the work instruction because yeah, they know the way they're doing it is better better. than as a process engineer comes and maybe uh, prepares a little fixture or something. And then, Oh, it's a little bit better. Let's update it. Right. Um, It's a real system that, that is alive. And that's, that's really uh, a great way to train the the workers. Mm. And the same thing for, um, you know, testing stations, um, for inspectors. You can really define the work of the inspector. You know, take the product like this, put it like, you know, like this on the table in front of you, check this, and then turn it around and check it like that. Um, get your finger to to follow the edge to, to see if there's any problem there, blah, blah, blah. Now, it can be done exactly the same way. This is really all operators kind of work. Um, and... By defining exactly and standardizing the way to do it, that's how you, you, you reduce variation, which is your enemy. So mm. that is very important, and it does take a lot of attention from the, the line leader and the workshop supervisors. Uh, and it goes back to my point, what was it, number two, about management. If you have poor yeah. management, you're never going to have good quality basically if you have good management then things can fall into place nicely and if they have the right routines and and the right tools etc you can really go a very long way so, yeah staff training if you don't if you don't ensure the staff is trained um if it's a very new product new operation um you got to start slowly and and give them plenty of um of attention from someone who can rectify what they're doing right mm. that, that's a very very important point
0: yeah and and also i suppose in the case of product inspectors who are coming in you're going to get a better return on your investment of those in- inspections as well if they're doing exactly what you need them to be doing rather than the inspectors are just trying to do their best but they're sort of uh it's more ambiguous
1: yeah yeah right now uh, you and you you might want different inspectors to do it in different ways mm. um and some of them trying to, you know, maybe bring a new fresh of eye, a pair of eyes and, and, and so on, mm. and have several levels, like several lines of defense, basically. Right. Mm. But the the ones that are very close to, to, to production, yeah. Try to, try to standardize the way they work very carefully. And then when you get an escape, of some defectives that went through anyway, then you go back. Why was the gap here? You know, was the standard not followed? Is the standard not adequate? Do we need to 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 evolve the standard, right? Mm. But if there's no standard, then you're left trying to think. Okay, you know, uh, it's a human mistake. You know, you get into these uh, these discussions that don't that don't do not lead anywhere. Yeah. Um, so standards are good for for training and for standardizing and minimizing variation.
0: Okay. And uh, your final tip, number six.
1: Well, process control. I mean, if you want to have good quality product, you got to have your processes under control all through the supply chain, basically. And this includes a lot of things. This includes, of course, standards that are defined, Operators and inspectors and testers and so on, who are trained to follow the the standard and 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 so on. Um, when there is equipment involved, it means <laughs> keeping um, keeping track of the um, the variables that impact the process. It's not just when there's equipment; it's this always the the case. Um, you got to know what impacts your, the, the results, you know, the output of the process and you need to, to, um, to keep it under control. If you, I mean, something stupid, if you're doing uh plastic injection molding, well, your setup is not going to be the same when it's close to freezing versus 40 degrees and uh, 80% of relative humidity. It's going to be very, very different. So, how do you adjust things? And then is there a point where you say, well, sorry, you know, it's, it's just too hot. Uh, that's not good. We need to find a way to get temperature down. Otherwise, we, we cannot keep this process under control. It's outside of what they call the, the process window, right? So you're going to be aware of uh, the limitations of, of your process. You need to know what variables to look at carefully, right? Uh, that's just just an, an example, but there's so many things that 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 impacted. I don't know when you do powder coating, for example. Well, the parts you know need to be prepared the right way. They should not have any grease. Like people should not touch it with their hands. Um, you should not put it in front of a fan, for example. That would send a lot of dirt. Um, they need to to go through the right bath. And how do you control this bath? How do you control you know the amount of solids in the bath, the right kinds of solids, etc. How do you you know how do you make sure that it's really always under control? And then it goes into powder coating. Okay, so you know how cold is the air? Uh, what about the paint material? What about the the way that the the paint uh, the, the 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 painter uh, the paint guy uh, uses his gun? What kind of gun does he use? You know what what angle, what distance, what speed, and so on. <laughs> you know the the temperature and the time in the oven. Uh, the time to to uh, to cool cool down and and the temperature after that is and and so on and so forth. There's so many variables. You know, you mess up with one of them, you can have half of your production defective,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Or or 100%. Mm-hmm. So you need to understand your process and keep it under control. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that can include a lot of things. If there's equipment involved it definitely includes preventive maintenance to make sure that the product, the, sorry, the piece of equipment, the, the machine, let's say, operates as it's intended to operate, right? And that um, maybe some tools and maybe some knives and so on are changed when they should be changed, right? Don't, don't wait until they break and hopefully somebody finds out <laughs> not too late, right? So that's um yeah, process control, we could talk and talk about it. And and, yeah. and there's a lot of statistical tools around that, of course, but it can be done at a basic level without statistics for a lot of uh production processes, let's say. And then when you want to break some um some obstacles, you know, some some issues you want to keep going down, you might, you know, you you might well have to um, to collect some statistics on some of the characteristics of you know of, of some of the parts that come out of um, of the process, so you anyway, know that 's sort of another topic
0: yeah we 'll we'll, uh, do another podcast on that in the future definitely that 's great well th- so that 's six tips to improve your supplier 's quality once you 've already started working with them and in the main they don't require a huge capital outlay right
1: all of this can be done with with no capital outlay yeah it's really all about management when you get down to it changing the mindset and and just good management mm-hmm.
0: great so i mean that's going to be music to smes and entrepreneurs here so that's good stuff and uh, yeah so now we're at the end of the episode that was the eighth in this series of doing your own sourcing from china of course relevant to other countries the links to all the other episodes if you want to listen to the series they're in the show notes and other than that we'll be back next week so reno thanks for uh, stopping by great thanks adrian thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the sophie's group We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfilment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com. that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share, because it will really help others discover us too.